Grace to you and peace from God our Father and his Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. So, I am a huge fan of both the Marvel and DC universes. I know that makes me anathema with certain purists everywhere. Sorry, Cook family. But I cannot choose between Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. They're both awesome. I'd rather be at a party with Tony Stark than Clark Kent, but if aliens from outer space attack, I might rather have Superman fighting them than Iron Man. And given the gajillions of dollars people have spent on both DC and Marvel films, I'm clearly not the only one who likes superheroes and supervillains. If that's not your thing, let me just tell you this. It's fun to take a couple of hours and immerse yourself in a universe where people are clearly and obviously good or bad. Their motives are good or bad. Their goals are good or bad. None of this moral relativism or situational ethics or shades of gray that plague us every time we read the paper. No, in the world of Marvel and DC, generally speaking, your actions are honorable or dishonorable, and that's it. So what does that have to do with today's gospel? Well, I think maybe John the Evangelist was also a fan of superheroes and supervillains. See, unlike the earlier gospel writers, the characters in John's gospel are pretty black and white. Jesus is pure goodness, all-knowing and all-wise. And while the disciples admittedly are a mixed bag, his beloved disciple is pretty close to pure good. Same goes for Mary, Lazarus' sister, pure good. And then the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and especially Judas, they're pure evil. It seems to me that in John's gospel, and it's interesting, the most nuanced and theologically complex of the gospels, the main characters are the least nuanced, the most one-dimensional. And while that's kind of fun in a comic book, it's potentially dangerous in scripture if it gives us permission to let ourselves off the hook. Consider Judas. In Mark's gospel, the first one written, an unidentified woman anoints Jesus' head with expensive oil and some unidentified people grumble that the money she spent on the oil could have been given to the poor. No mention of Judas. Now, the next thing that happens in that gospel is Judas goes to the chief priest to betray Jesus and they reward him with money. Since Judas' actions immediately follow the anointing by the unnamed woman, we can infer that there's a correlation between the two events, but Mark doesn't actually say why Judas did what he did. In Matthew's gospel, same thing. An unnamed woman anoints Jesus' head with expensive oil, but this time it's all the disciples who grumble. And again, the very next thing to happen is Judas goes to the chief priests to betray Jesus. Again, not given any insight into why Judas did what he did, though in the next chapter, when Judas seems to realize for the first time that Jesus was actually going to be condemned to death, Judas returns the money that the priest gave him and hangs himself in remorse. In Luke's gospel, when an unnamed woman washes Jesus' feet with tears and rubs in perfume with her hair, it's the Pharisees who object, not Judas. And then several chapters later, in an unrelated story, Satan enters Judas and convinces him to betray Jesus. 
So it's only in John's gospel that Judas is the one to object to the cost of the oil poured on Jesus' feet. And it's only in John's gospel that Judas says this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. In other words, in John's gospel, we have a supervillain and not a puzzling character who loved Jesus enough to sacrifice everything to follow him, but who didn't trust Jesus enough to see his ministry through to the end. And I don't know about you, but I find myself much more able to relate to the latter kind of Judas than a supervillain. We all love Jesus. Of course we love Jesus. Everybody here does. So do most of the people out there. What's not to love? Even Judas loved Jesus. But trusting Jesus, trusting Jesus enough to follow him your whole life long, that's another matter altogether. Trusting that Jesus has my back, that Jesus will protect my soul, that Jesus will protect my children, that's another matter altogether. Trusting that Jesus' ministry really did accomplish eternal salvation, and I don't have to earn my salvation by being really, really good, that's another matter. Trusting that Jesus hasn't long since given up on us, that's another matter. Trusting that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection really did secure our eternal life, and then living our lives through good times and bad like we know that's true, well, that's another matter, isn't it? If Judas wasn't a supervillain, then he was a guy who loved Jesus, but in the end, he just couldn't trust Jesus enough to accomplish what he said he would do. And isn't that a whole lot more like us than a supervillain? We're in the home stretch of Lent now, our season of penitence, and the temptation is going to be strong to distance ourselves from the bad guys in the stories we're going to hear next week, because, hey, they're evil, and we're not, which sounds uncomfortably like the Pharisee in Luke's gospel who stood in the temple and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. Heads up, the Pharisee was the bad guy in that story. It was the repentant tax collector beating his breast who was the role model. The reality is that there may be more of conflicted, distrustful Judas in us than extravagantly adoring Mary. Probably depends on the day, maybe even the hour. We're complex creatures, you and I, neither pure good nor pure evil, superhero or supervillain. It is best if we admit that repent of the bad, and work to strengthen the good, and most of all, allow God in to work with who we really are. There are less than two weeks of Lent left, just enough time to get to work. Amen. <laughs>